Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Today's message comes from our Advent series, Light in the Darkness. Please bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the light of the world and you have entered into the darkness of this world. Lord, even the darkness of our own hearts in order to bring the light of life. And so, Lord, we want to receive that light. We want to respond to it properly. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that in the midst of the weariness of this world, Lord, you come in in order to turn our sighing into rejoicing. So, Lord, help us to understand the good news of the gospel. Let it not just make sense in our minds, but, Lord, we pray that it would hit us in the hearts and that it would change our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Groaning. Groaning is the sound that my children make when I tell them jokes. For example, the other day we were driving past the cemetery and I said, hey kids, have you seen how popular this place is? People are dying to get in here. And uh, my kids kind of did what you guys did right now. It's just, uh, and my wife, they let out kind of a collective groan. Ugh. Uh, you see, that wasn't the first time I've told them this joke. In fact, I, I tell them this joke almost every time we drive by the cemetery, which is pretty often. Or when I ask them if they've heard about that restaurant on the moon, you know the one, it has great food, but just really lacking in atmosphere. Yeah, they just kind of let out a, a groan, like, ugh. I actually started a TikTok channel. If, you, if any of you need something to do during the service other than study the Bible, you can go, go find my TikTok channel. It's just videos of me telling jokes to my kids and then watching them groan. That's what the whole channel is. And um, a groan, right? It's the sound you make when you're tired, like tired of hearing the same joke over and over again, or tired because it was painfully bad. Sometimes we groan when we're physically tired. It's also the sound we make when we're emotionally weary or exasperated. It's the sound you make when something hurts. You groan. Ugh. Ugh. Not again. Ugh, I don't know how much more of this I can take. You know, there's another sound that's kind of like a groan, but it's different, and that's a sigh, right? A sigh is not as loud as a groan, but it's similar in nature. Sometimes there's a sigh of relief when something turns out better than you expected it to turn out, but a sigh generally is what you do when you see something that makes you sad or makes you frustrated, or, or makes you upset because you see it and it's bad, but there's not much you can do about it, or maybe nothing you can do about it. You know, one of my favorite Christmas songs is Oh Holy Night. We're going to sing it at the end of the service today. And it talks about the night on which Jesus was born. And here's what it says. It says, long lay the world in sin and error pining. But then it says that because Jesus was born into the world, now the weary world rejoices. I don't know about you, but that description of the world as being weary, isn't that so extremely accurate for the time that we live in right now? The world is a weary place. We're weary, aren't we? From two years of pandemic, we're weary. We're weary of restrictions and new variants coming up all the time, right? We're weary of our friends and family members getting sick and going to the hospital, and in some cases even dying. We're weary from the divisiveness that we experience in our society. It's so incredibly divisive. 
We're weary because of inflation and increasing prices. At this time of year, around Christmas, this is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. But I don't know about you, but I've got more to do at this time of year than almost any other time of the year. I've got to-do lists and shopping and special events, and it can be exhausting. If you read the news, you can't help but be weary. It's full of tragedy, tornadoes, tension, strife. The world is weary, and us, if we're honest, I think that you would admit that we're weary as well. I don't know about you, but I know I get weary sometimes. You know, it's funny because at the end of every year, this kind of happens every year. And at the beginning of the new year, you know what happens? Like January 1st rolls around and we're pumped, right? We're like, yes, goodbye 2020. That was the worst year ever. 2021 is going to be awesome. This is going to be the best. Last year was horrible. This year is going to be great, right? And now here we are at the end of 2021 and we're like, wow, that was hard. Oh. But 2022, it's going to be different, right? Goodbye 2021. Never see you again. And now you know, we do it every year, guys. Every year we start the new year with so much hopefulness, but by this time of the year, we find ourselves weary. You remember, though, the promise of the song, right? The weary world rejoices. The song tells us that what happened on Christmas is such good news that it can cause a weary world to rejoice. So what is it about Christmas that could cause a weary world like ours, weary people like us to rejoice? And how can we get that inside of us? That's the question. The title of today's message is The Weary World Rejoices. And in our text today, Romans chapter 8, what we're going to see in our passage is that the weary world grows under the curse of sin and death. But because of Jesus, the day is coming when our sighing will give way to rejoicing. I'd love it if you'd remember that sentence. That's going to be our outline for this passage today. We'll break that sentence down as we study our passage. It'll be our guide. But it's also kind of our takeaway truth, right? I'd love for you to write that down, remember it, uh, take a photo as I see some of you are doing, so you can take that thought with you today. It summarizes the point of this passage. So we're going to break that down as we study the passage. Let's begin by looking at the first half. The weary world groans under the curse of sin and death. In the eighth chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans, he says this, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy of comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What Paul is telling the Romans is that the struggle is real, but the future is bright. The struggle is real, but the future is bright. But you know what? Even though the future is bright, the struggle right now is very real. And even though the future is bright, right, the struggle is very real. Paul talks about the sufferings of this present time. Now, that's interesting because in the verses right before that one, so if you look back, you glance at your Bibles, look at verse 17, look at verse 16, you'll notice that what Paul was explaining right before this to the Roman readers, the Roman Christians that he was writing this to, he was telling them that the good news of the gospel is that in Christ, God has adopted us as his children. He's brought us into his family. We used to be on the outside, but God has brought us near. He's brought us in, in Jesus. So when you put your faith in Jesus and what he did for you, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, not only are you forgiven of your sins, not only do you receive the gift of eternal life, but your whole way of relating to God fundamentally changes. Right? He adopts you. He makes you part of his family. He gives you a new identity. You become a child of God. 
That's awesome, right? That's, a, that's incredible. That's amazing. And Paul says in verse 17, he says, as children of God, here's what that means. Here's what it means. It means that one day we will receive an inheritance. There's an inheritance stored up in heaven waiting for us. You know what else it means? It means that one day we will be glorified with Christ. That sounds great. And then he says, and in this present time, you're going to suffer. And we're like, hang on a second. Wait, what are you talking about? I, I was with you up until that point, right? Like, I like the riches. I like the glory. That was great. I want more of that stuff. But what are you talking about? Suffering. And of course, right, the question everybody asks, this is the, this is the big question. If God loves me, then why would he allow me to suffer? And, and related, if God is my father and he calls me child, then why would a father allow his children to suffer? Now, Paul's going to answer that question here in just a moment, but the point I want you to see here for now is this. Listen, the type of suffering that you experience, the degree to which you suffer in this life may vary, right? Not everybody suffers in the same way, but this is the facts. You are going to suffer in this life in one way or another, no matter who you are. Everybody experiences suffering in this life. It's a reality of life and existence in this world. But look at what he says in verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. In other words, what we are right now is not what we will be. Here and now, if your faith is in Jesus, you are forgiven, you are redeemed, you are a child of God, and yet what you are right now is just the start of what you will be. There's something greater in store for us, and we wait with eager expectation, with bated breath for the revealing of what that will be like, for the realization, for the fruition of that moment. All of creation is on the edge of our seats waiting for that time which is to come when everything that God is planning to do will come to full fruition. For us who are in Jesus, the future is bright, and yet the struggle is real right now. The struggle is real here and now. It tells us why that is in verse 20. It says, for the creation was subjected to futility. The creation was subjected to futility. Now, that word futility could also be translated as frustration. All of creation is frustrated. Don't you experience that? Don't you feel it? Aren't you frustrated sometimes? We're frustrated by the disappointments in this life. We're frustrated by the pain in this life. We're frustrated that things don't work out the way we wish they would or we think they ought to. We're frustrated that things don't happen in the timing that we want them to happen in. We're frustrated in all of creation. This is our collective frustration. This is the human experience. To be human is to be frustrated. It says in verse 22, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth up until now. The weary world, friends, it, re it groans under the curse of sin and death. But you know what? It wasn't always this way. Do you realize that? It wasn't always like this. The Bible tells us that in the beginning, it wasn't like this. In the book of Genesis, we read about how when God created the world, everything he created was good. He didn't create a broken, messed up world. He created a world that was good, that was delightful. But what happened is the world changed. What happened is that sin entered into the world, and with sin came the result of sin, which is death. You see, when, in, when sin was introduced into the fabric of God's good creation, 
It was a foreign element, and it began to tear that fabric apart. It began to cause destruction. Thorns began to grow where they hadn't grown before. People began to suffer and even to die. And as a result, all of creation began to groan and sigh under the weight of the curse of sin and death. But the very first sigh in all of history, do you know who who breathed the very first sigh? It was God himself. God breathed the very first sigh in all of history. In Genesis chapter 3, we read about how after God created the world, he placed the man and the woman he created, and he placed them in this garden paradise that he had made for them. And yet, those very first ancestors of ours, they chose to do the one thing that God had warned them not to do. God had told them, guys, I love you. Look at all I've created for you. I want what's best for you. So I want you to, I want you to trust me on something, okay? I need you to trust me on something. You can eat from any of the trees that you see except for that one over there. Because if you eat from that tree over there, you will die. And you're going to have to trust me, right? You can't go test it out. You're just going to have to believe me when I tell you that I love you. I want what's best for you. And you're going to have to believe me that I'm telling you the truth because I love you, because I want what's best for you. And if you obey me and you trust me enough to do what I say, then you will live. But if you eat the fruit of that tree, you will die. And I don't want you to die. So trust me on this one, okay? But those first ancestors of ours, rather than trusting God, they chose to believe the lies of the serpent. The serpent came along and told them that God did not actually love them. He told them that they should not trust God, that God didn't really have their best interest in mind, but instead God was trying to withhold from them something that would be good and enjoyable and delightful because God's capricious and petty. And he said, you should do it. God's trying to withhold something from you. He's not actually a good God. And so they believed the lies of the serpent rather than the word of God, and they ate from the deadly tree And as soon as they did, it says that they were filled with an overwhelming sense of shame. Maybe you felt that before, too. Overwhelming sense of shame. And when they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, rather than running to God, rather than pursuing God, they ran away from God and they tried to hide from God. But it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord God called out to the man and said, where are you? And he spoke to the woman and he said, what have you done? You see, it wasn't that God didn't know where they are. It wasn't that God didn't know what they had done. Rather, God wanted to talk to them about it. He wanted them to come and and discuss and talk about it. You see, the difficulty we have in reading this passage, but it's also true of literally every other passage in the Bible. See, what we have are black and white words on a page. And what you miss when you read black and white words on a page is you miss a tone of voice. You miss the intonation, right? So what we do, right, subconsciously even, right, we just automatically read a tone into it. We assume a tone onto the text, right? And so some people read those words and they read them like this. Where are you? What have you done? Right? They assume an angry tone and intonation. But I don't believe that that was the tone that God used when he said these words. And I'll tell you why in just a second. You see, no, the tone of God's voice, I believe, was not one of anger, but it was one of heartbreak. Heartbroken. Where are you? Why are you hiding from me? What have you done? You see, this was the world's first sigh. 
in the Garden of Eden, God groaned. Of course, God knew that this was going to happen. He wasn't surprised by it, but yet he was still grieved by it because he knew all the pain, all the sorrow that was going to come into the world as a result of what had just happened, and it grieved him to the heart. How do I know that God spoke these words, not with an angry tone, but with a sigh? Well, because just a few chapters after this, in Genesis chapter 6, it says that once again, God looked upon the earth. As the population of the earth began to increase, God looked upon the earth, and he saw in the hearts of people wickedness. He saw wickedness upon the earth. He saw that sin existed on the earth and in the hearts of the people. And it says, and it grieved him to his heart. It grieved him to his heart. You see, the story of Christmas begins with a sigh. It begins with a groan that emanated from the heart of God because he knew that the wages of sin is death. The result of sin is separation and suffering. And ever since that time, the world and all of us in the world, we are weary. We're weary and we are groaning under the weight of the curse of sin and death. But the good news of the gospel, friends, is that that is not the end of the story. The groaning, the sighs, that's not the end of the story. That brings us to the second part of our sentence, which is this. The weary world groans under the curse of sin and death, but because of Jesus, the day is coming when our sighing will give way to rejoicing. The day is coming when our sighing will give way to rejoicing because of Jesus. Look at what it says in Romans 8, verse 20 and 21. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. What was the hope? Here it is that the creation itself would be set free from bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In other words, right now, we groan under the curse of sin and death, but the promise of the gospel is that it will not always be this way. God has a plan to set the world free from the curse of sin and death, free from bondage to corruption. That's why it says in verse 22 that all of creation has been groaning together up until now in the pains of childbirth. You see, in other words, just like the pains of childbirth, the pains we experience here and now in this life, they won't last forever. And what is coming is so great that it will be worth the wait. Verse 23 says this, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And verse 24 says, for in this hope we were saved. You see, to be a Christian is to have a foretaste of what is to come. But we look forward to that day when our redemption will be complete. And it is in that hope that we were saved. The message of the gospel is that God looked upon the world. He saw the brokenness, the pain, the sorrow in this world, and he wept along with us. But that's not all he did. He didn't stop at weeping. God came to us. He became one of us in the person of Jesus Christ. God entered into our world to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. That is the message of Christmas. That's the meaning of Christmas. God came to us. That's why Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. He was born into this world. He entered into our frustrations, our groanings. He experienced them not from afar off, not distantly, though no, he experienced it up close and personal. Pain, sorrow, frustration, firsthand, right there on the ground as one of us. 
And as one of us, Jesus groaned and sighed as he was faced with the brokenness of this world. For example, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, we read about a time when people brought a man to Jesus who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And it says that Jesus, he touched the man, he touched his ears, he touched his eyes, but then it says that he pulled him aside. And it says that looking up to heaven, Jesus sighed. He sighed. You know, we often think of a God who speaks, but a God who sighs? See, as Jesus encountered this man who couldn't hear, who struggled to speak, it caused him to sigh. Why? Because here he is, the creator of the universe, looking at this person with a physical disability, and he sighs because he knows these ears weren't designed to not hear. This tongue wasn't designed to stumble. This good creation is broken. And Jesus encounters this brokenness, and it causes him to sigh. Frustration, grief, sadness, sorrow. In the very next chapter, we see Jesus sigh again. In Mark chapter 8, it says that the Pharisees came to Jesus and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And it says that Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. Why was Jesus so grieved? Why was he so bothered that the Pharisees asked him for a sign? Well, think about it. What has Jesus been doing for the last year or two up until this point? He's been teaching. He's been performing miracles. In the previous chapter, chapter 7, he just healed that guy who was deaf. And right before this, right before that verse we read there in chapter 8, Jesus just fed 4,000 people in one of his biggest, grandest, most public miracles. And now these guys walk up to him and they're like, uh, yeah, so Jesus, when are you going to do something impressive, right? Like, when are you going to give us a sign, right, to show us that you're the Messiah? Like, do a miracle or something. And Jesus is like, what are you talking about? How, haven't you seen what I've been doing? Basically, what, you know what they're saying to Jesus? Hey, Jesus, you know, all that, all that cute stuff you did with the, with the miracles and the healings and the bread and stuff, not good enough. We need something better. Impress us. We're not impressed. And Jesus looks at this and he just sighs. It's insulting. It's exasperating. He's grieved. These people are hard-hearted. They're resisting God. And this isn't the way it was meant to be. It may be how it is, but it's not the way it was meant to be. Bodies aren't supposed to be broken. Hearts are not supposed to be hard. Hearts are not supposed to resist God. Maybe this is how it is, but it's not the way it should be. And then we read in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, how some people come to Jesus and they tell him, Jesus, one of your friends is sick and he might die. You need to come right away. And so Jesus goes, but by the time that he arrives, his friend has died. And as soon as Jesus arrives, his friend's sister comes up and falls at his feet and is just weeping. Her tears are going into the, into the dirt. And it says that when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And Jesus said, verse 34, where have you laid him? And they said to him, come and see. And Jesus wept. Now here's what's interesting. In just a few minutes time, I hope I'm not ruining the story for you, but in just a few minutes time, you know what Jesus is going to do? He's going to raise his friend from the dead. It's one of his greatest miracles. He's going to bring his friend back to life. So let me just ask you this, right? If you're Jesus 
And you know that in like a few minutes' time, you're going to bring this person back to life and everything's going to be okay. Then how would you have acted in this situation? How would you have reacted in this situation? I know personally, I would have been like, listen, everybody, calm down. Everything's going to be just fine. Stop crying. It's going to work out. I'm here. I'm going to take care of it. Just give me a second, okay? But listen, that's not what Jesus does. Instead, Jesus, it says, he's deeply moved. He's greatly troubled, and he weeps. It's a bit strange, don't you think, considering the fact that he's about to raise this person from the dead? But the reason why Jesus weeps is because as he looks and he sees the reality of life on this earth, that people die, he's grieved. He's grieved by the brokenness of the world. He's grieved that death exists at all. You see, the message of Christmas is that God himself entered into our groanings and our grief, our sorrows and our sighs. But that's not all he did. That's not all he did. He didn't just enter in. You see, Jesus came into this world not only to live among us, but also to die for us. To live among us, but more than that, to die for us. It says in Mark's gospel, at the very end of the gospel, it says that as Jesus hung on the cross and life left his body, it says that Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. That cry, you know what it was? It was the groan that would one day put an end to all groaning. It was the sigh that would one day end all sighing. You see, John's gospel tells us that right before Jesus breathed that final breath, he said, it is finished. The good news of Christmas is that God came to us in the person of Jesus to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Through his death, Jesus broke the power of death by taking the curse of sin upon himself. And because of what Jesus did, there is coming a day, friends, when there will be no more cancer, when there will be no more death, when peace and truth will reign on the earth, right? When righteousness will cover the earth like water covers the sea, when fear and suffering and strife will be no more, and love will never end. This is the hope we celebrate at Christmas. This is the good news of Christmas. You see that song, O Holy Night? Right, we're going to sing it in just a moment. The next line, right after it says, oh, the weary world rejoices, it tells us why the weary world rejoices. Because it says, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. You see, because Jesus came and he bore our sorrows on the cross, because he rose from the grave victorious over death, there is coming a day for those whose faith is in him when your groanings will cease and your sighs will give way to rejoicing. The prophet Isaiah foretold this day. Did you know that? He foretold this day, the day that is coming, that God has promised. Here's, what, here's how he described it. He said, the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Did you see that? Sighing will flee away. This is what it says, by the way, in Romans chapter 8, again in verse 21, that because of what Jesus did, the day is coming when all of creation will be set free from bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That day is not here yet, but you can be absolutely sure that it is coming. 
Look at what it says now in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. It says, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. I want you to notice something about those verses. Did you notice something interesting? Did you notice that all of those words were in the past tense? The past tense. You know what that means? That means that those who are children of God, it says, they are called, they are justified, they are glorified. In the past tense, right? So wait, wait a second, right? That's something that hasn't happened yet. That's something that we're waiting for, isn't it? We're waiting for that day when we'll be glorified with Christ. And yet, why is it written in the past tense? You know why? It's because as far as God's concerned, for those who are in Jesus, it's a done deal. It's as good as done. It is solid and secure. It's not maybe, I hope, this might work out. That might happen. No, no, no. If your faith is in Jesus, then for you, in God's eyes, it's a done deal. It is going to happen. That's the point. And I'll tell you this. If you really believe this, if it's not just something that you nod in agreement to and say, yeah, okay, but it's something that sinks from your head into your heart. When you really believe this, when you really internalize this, you know what happens? This hope for the future will absolutely affect the way that you live right here and right now. Because you know what this means? It means that you have nothing to fear, neither in life nor in death. Not only do you know that death has been defeated and that your destiny is secure in Jesus, that a new day is coming in which sighing will cease and groaning will give way to rejoicing forever. But also, look at what it says in verse 28 about our lives right here and right now. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, as you wait for the day when all sighing will cease, if your faith and your hope is in Jesus, you can be confident that no matter what difficulties you face in this life, God loves you and he is actively working all things together for your ultimate good. And when you really believe that, it changes the way you live. It allows you, it gives you the ability to face even the hardest things that life might throw at you with confidence and with hope. Friends, the message of Christmas is that God became a child so that you could become a child of God. God became a child so that you could become a child of God. And therefore, the way to experience the true joy of Christmas is by embracing the reason for which Jesus came. And you do that by acknowledging your need for him and by putting your trust in him, in what he did to save you. And as you trust in him, you will experience what Paul calls here in Romans chapter 8, the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The weary world groans under the curse of sin and death, but because of Jesus, the day is coming when our sighing will give way to rejoicing. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts 
or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com. 